0: Welcome to the weekly message from Rhema Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au forward slash media. Today, we're going to look right into the Word and we're calling this Rules for Raining. I love Easter. Uh, this is a Sunday after Easter. I love Easter. I like I like the decorations. I'm like, I'm all into all of that. But the reason that um, the Lord put what he's put in my heart uh, is not because that I like Easter. Uh, This is because it's something that is on his heart. And in my own times of prayer has been working really in there for quite some time. And I really believe that he... Has some things for us to see today about the lion and the lamb, and that's why we have uh, this painting Caleb Jones did, and we and we had a highlight into that last week. I know this is the week after Easter, but um, the message for today has to do with the lion and the lamb. One thing important for us to know is that in knowing him more, uh, we have opportunity actually to know something about ourselves. You know that we have been encouraged to, to get to know who we are in Christ or in him. You've heard people tell you that. Come to know who you are in him. Well, um, The way that you know who you are in him is actually to know something more about him. In finding that out, we're going to find out today some more things that are true about ourselves. So with the lion and the lamb, we can say just uh, generally our comprehension of the lamb had to do with his first coming or what we're most commonly aware of is this personality trait of lamb was expressed mostly in his first coming because of the element of him being the sacrifice lamb on the cross. And then the second coming, uh, Jesus is coming again. He said he would come again, but when he does, it will not be in a manger Uh, as we sang in the song today, will not be in a manger. He will come as king of kings and lord of lords. And so this personality trait of lion is mostly associated with his second coming where lamb is associated with his first. However, in looking at the word of God and looking about uh, these two elements in the word, uh, it's... uh, a very important thing for us to see is that Lamb is not exclusive to his first coming, and lion is not exclusive to his second coming. Actually, these two personality traits uh, were expressed in his whole ministry. We see a combination of Jesus, Lion, and lamb in his whole life and ministry. And it will be the same then on through eternity. The lion or the lamb element or the personality trait which we see <clears throat> in the background of Jesus, the sacrifice lamb, is associated in not just on the cross, but even the way that He He lived among us. Because in, in Philippians, the second chapter, it says that he humbled himself and became a human. He was God. God, the second person of the Godhead, and he became a human. He came into man. And as a man, he served. And so we see this servant or this personality of humility not just in the cross and in the work of the cross, but we also see it in the style of how he lived and how he ministered to other people. And then the lion, the lion personality part was also seen in his life and ministry because the lion illustrates and represents dominion. And so when Jesus came, he did, as we sang it today, he came to represent the kingdom of God. Well, if you, if you look at the word kingdom and break it apart and invert it, what kingdom literally means is the dominion of the king, the dominion of the king. And so Jesus came to illustrate and to manifest the dominion of the king. He did that in, a, in the way that he ministered uh, and never came in contact in his life and ministry with anything that he could not conquer. He was able to triumph over everything that was, um, was threatening at all. And so when we find our identity in Christ today... Uh, we're going to be looking at how these two personality traits of authority and dominion have something to do with our Christianity. But not only that, but the lion, not only the lion, but also the lamb, the servant, the servanthood and the humility that we see in the lamb. So let's go first to Romans fifth chapter and verse 17 And we're cutting into the middle of this verse of Scripture so we can focus. It starts like this. Those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Where will they reign? Well... Uh, there's verses of scripture that tells us that we will rule and reign with Him in the next age, in the millennial age. Praise the Lord! But that's not what this verse of scripture says. It says they will reign when. In life, we reign in life. The human was made by the Creator to reign. We're hardwired to reign. When a, when a person uh, through domination or through different things that have happened have the boot on their neck or on their life, there's something in them that wants to get out of that. Why? We weren't made to be under dominion. We were made to reign. So let's look. Let's break this verse of Scripture down a little bit. To reign in life, it highlights this element uh, of, of Jesus, the lion part, the reigning part of Jesus. So let's look at the two components in Romans 5:17 that this verse of Scripture requires for reigning in life. The first one is grace, the abundance of grace. So the abundance of grace, Uh, We could say grace is not just God's, you know, his his warm thoughts about you, his smile upon you when he thinks about you. It's way more than that. The grace of God is operational power. It can transfigure. It's activated by faith, but the grace of God does many amazing things, and in salvation, it recreates your spirit. But in 1 Peter, the 5th chapter in verse 5, it says that God resists the proud. Pride and God cannot coexist. There is, just like uh, if you've ever tried to stick uh, uh, magnets together, when you put the two North Poles together or the two South Poles together, you cannot do it. And anybody here, try, you know, when you first ever start discovering uh, magnets. You cannot get them to stick together. And it is so with God and pride. God resists the proud. But what does he do for the humble? He gives grace to the humble. God's power comes to the humble. And so, to receive grace, you have to receive it you have to through humility not earning it not grabbing it not demanding it from God not being power hungry you have to receive grace so that is one of the components for reigning in life is the abundance of grace the second one though is the gift of righteousness. Now, notice, uh, if you'll go back to Romans, the fifth chapter, please put that verse of Scripture up. It doesn't say the award of righteousness. Righteousness is not achieved through winning it or earning it. You can't get the righteousness of God by anything you do other than just receiving it. The gift of righteousness. you don't compete for it. You have to have humility enough to receive the gift of righteousness. All right? So these reigning, uh, these reigning personality, or this reigning personality trait, actually depends on humility. It depends on the lamb type of personality. So this lion here you see is known for his in the forest of the jungle of his dominance, of his prominence. And you look at him and he is one of the most magnificent of all God's creatures. He's amazing. However, In Christianity or in Christ, this characteristic is actually dependent as well. The lion characteristic is dependent upon the lamb. It's actually rooted in the lamb. And so today we're going to acknowledge a little bit more of the lamb. Uh, Before Easter, we were looking at the prayer of consecration and looked at the garden of Gethsemane. And uh, I want to put up one of the statements that we looked at. True humility produces true boldness. True humility produces true boldness. Now, that's true. In, in Proverbs, the 28th chapter, it says that the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold. They're bold as a lion. So, one of these components that help us to be able to reign in life is righteousness that is only achieved through humility. And so, true humility produces true boldness let's look at another statement it says to the degree that you humble you come up into boldness and we contrasted the difference between a a different kind of a boldness uh, that the world knows that's brass and arrogant and and crass and defiant that can be bold but that is not christ boldness Jesus was known for boldness. He was known in his life and ministry for this lion quality about him. People that listened to him teach said, we've never heard anybody teach with this kind of authority. But here's this statement again. To the degree that you humble, you come up into boldness. Anybody jump on a trampoline? You've been experienced that... The harder you jump or the lower you go, the higher you come up. And it is that way, and that's what Jesus experienced. We came down to the earth in humility in his life and ministry. He, he was exalted and became very dominant and prominent and popular and amazing and known for his power. And then he humbled himself yet even further and became obedient to death, the death of the cross. The next verse of scripture says, wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. Humility isn't something that people, when they're wanting to be powerful, commonly think. It's not the next default thinking. When you're wanting to be more powerful, you start strutting. You start popping your chest. You start You start doing the the walk. You start changing the voice or whatever. Jesus demonstrated a different way to arise in power. He said, you don't shoot to go up. You actually, if you want to go up, you start going down. And he demonstrated that. So we're going to look at... um, How Jesus manifested in his own life a combination of these two qualities. The lion that was not just prominent and dominant, but it was also dependent upon this lamb quality and personality. Jesus was referred to as a lamb in prophecy in, um, once in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 53 verse 7, Jesus was referred to as a lamb twice in the garden, both times in John. Once in the book of Acts, once in the epistles when Peter talked of him as a lamb in 1 Peter 1.19. Listen to this. 26 times in the book of Revelation, he was referred to as the lamb. In Revelation 17 and verse 14, let's read one of those, one of those times, one of those 26 times. It says, together they will go to war against the lamb, but the lamb will defeat them. Because he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and he, uh, he is his called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. This is prophetic about days ahead. Notice they go against war against the lamb, and who defeats them? The lion? No, it says the lamb, and then it also says that the lamb is King of kings and Lord of lords. Wait, I thought. That the lion is king of kings and Lord of lords. He is. But what we want to see that in the life and the life of what Jesus demonstrated is this is the package. Yes, we know Jesus is the king of kings and Lord of lords. But where did he get that dominance? Where did he get that prominence? Where did he get that magnificence? Was it just in his, okay, I'm not trying to be tricky with words, his omnipotence? <laughs> was it with all that? No, it was in his dependence on this lamb aspect, his dependence. His dominance was literally rooted in this lamb characteristic and quality Eight times of the 26 times in, in Revelation, eight times connects the lamb directly with the throne of God. It isn't the throne and the lion. It's the throne and the lamb. The one who sits on the throne and the lamb. So God's strength and I said this word in the first one. i see if I can say it because it's a big word and it's amazing. Inextricably. How's that? It's, wow, that's quite a word. His, his dominance and his magnificence is absolutely interwoven with his humility. You cannot separate them. It isn't one in one dispensation or time and then another in another. No, they go together. Again, we're looking at something about Jesus. Now, what about the lion? In Genesis 49 and verse 9 and 10, the lion was given to the tribe of Judah as their symbol as their, uh, from the father Judah. Uh, was one of the sons of Israel. Judah, uh, their 12 sons, Judah was one, and the symbol for him was lion. Jesus actually, generations later, came through that tribe, that lion tribe, okay? And then in Isaiah, the 11th chapter, 1 to 10, there's a this prophecy about the millennial age that you and I are going to be coming into after Jesus comes. And that's when everything is beautiful. That is in the Bible where it says the lion will lay down with the lamb. Anybody have heard heard of that? It's within that prophecy. Now, nowhere in that prophecy does it say that Jesus is a a lion. However, there is in this millennial reign which we typically um, draw this uh, this beautiful picture of lion, we we see that the lion does lay down with the lamb. Revelation eleven fifteen and nineteen says the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God, and He will reign forever. There's heaps of scripture in the Bible about the kingdom of our God never coming to an end. Empires come and go, parties come and go, nations come and go, but the kingdom of our God will never come to an end. And so when we think of kingdom and reigning, we, we picture this lion, but that terminology lion uh, is not actually in Reve- Revelation 11, 15 to 19. Well, where is lion of the tribe of Judah? It's in Revelation five and verse five, and it calls Jesus the Lion from the tribe of Judah, and actually is in the Bible only one time. I find that very surprising. When I was looking, I thought, "Wait, that should that seems like it would have been in there or more." However, however, that He reigns gives. This picture, what I did find in watching, going through the verses of scripture uh, about lion and looking for the lion, our God, our God is a lion, the lion of Judah. Yes, he is roaring with power. You see that in it. You see that in his manifestation of what he did, but, what I found was that there was, in the verses of Scripture that use lions, there's actually not only our God, but the devil is even, or enemy, or something that tries to devour you or shred your life is also referred to about a lion. How about what Peter said to the, to the church when he wrote? He said, watch out, the devil as a roaring What? A roaring hippopotamus, a roaring water buffalo, a roaring bobcat, a roaring dingo. No, it's a roaring lion. And so you see this, this, uh, this ugly picture of lion too. Again, powerful, strength, dominance, but ugly using his strength and dominance to hurt. And so the devil is is noted like that. As an example, I was thinking, oh, um, Walt Disney has a movie called The Lion King. And I thought, well, that, that, that might be good to bring up because um, kind of sad but true, sometimes Believers, sometimes we know Disney stories better than we do the Bible. It's a bit sad. So, for the sake of getting a point across, we're going to use something that people are familiar with, Walt Disney. Anyway... Uh, I think we should change that, don't you? Don't you think we should know the Bible really good, like the back of our hands? Yes, we should know that. But anyway, this is a good example. The Lion King. In the Lion King, you remember there were two lions. There was Mephasa. He had that amazing voice. That, um, And he had come to, um, he was the king. Um, he came to it by right. He had a brother who had a nasty attitude, that always felt like he should have what Mafasa had. And going back to the story, through the story of where uh, where Scar got his scar, um, he didn't, he, his name wasn't always Scar. His father had named him a proper name. But in his, in his life and in his struggle for power... Um, uh, he, he got this scar in a fight and he changed his own name to Scar because he wanted his identity to always remind himself and everybody else that he was a victim. That's interesting, isn't it? It's way he identified himself. And one of the... If you, if you get on, you know, uh, YouTube and you look at Scar and look at one of the things that he says, you put it in there and it'll pop up with one of his famous things. Life's not fair. That's how he starts off his thing. Life's not fair. Mm. So his hunger for power was motivated Unlike this lion, his hunger for power, this lion was motivated by this servant, this helpful, sacrificial love. Mephasa's, or not Mephasa's, Scar's desire for power was motivated by a feeling of injustice, being a victim, and always wanting revenge and retribution. And he did everything he could do to get it deception, all kinds of different things to do it. So with these two types of lions, We can see there are two types of reigning. And today we're talking about the rules of reigning in our kingdom. And you know who sets the rules? The king of this kingdom. We don't set the rules. He did. And Jesus made some things really clear. In Luke, the fourth chapter, when Jesus was in the wilderness, the devil, not not a demon, some demon... It was actually Satan himself came to Jesus in the wilderness and tempted him with this lion temptation to rule the world. The only thing he had to do was to serve him, the devil. He said, I'll make, I'll make you the ruler over all the world, over all the kingdoms of this world. Jesus There was a temptation about that because in in Jesus accepting this temptation, he could go immediately to lion and scratch this off. He wouldn't have had to have gone to the cross. But praise the Lord, Jesus, Jesus turned that down decidedly. We've heard this statement, power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts absolutely. Jesus's motivation to be the lion or the king through that temptation would have been for power. But I'd like you to look at John the sixth chapter and verse 15. Let's see what Jesus said or what happened with Jesus after he multiplied bread and he was so popular. Everybody was amazed with him. He's he's got so much power he can do. He's healing everybody. He's doing every he's he's changing things. Wow, he's amazing. And now he's multiplied bread and he's multiplied fishes and and he's Jesus is amazing. And they were wanting him to be king. They said, "With this kind of power, kind of power that we're seeing you do, you could be the king right now and use that power to turn on its head the Roman empire cuz nothing else had enough power to break break the roman empire's uh, empire's hand on israel they said you could do that we want you to be king john 6:15 said, Jesus saw that when they were ready to force him to be their king, he said, hot diggity dog. What a happy day. I always wanted to be king. I knew I was born to be king here on the earth. And, you know, frankly, what you're saying is true. I really can. You know, there's so many things I can do. (laughs) I'd love to teach these Romans a lesson. I've seen how they treat people I love. And, you know what, you want me to be king? Let me think about it. Okay. Actually, that's not what this scripture says. It says when they wanted to force him to be king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. So when he was given opportunity to be the lion, just as a matter of power and dominance and prominence, he reverted to this other characteristic of Lamb. He went alone into the hills because Jesus said this. He said, Without Him, He's talking about His Father, I can do nothing. His power was literally rooted in His dependency. On the Father. Not on his greed for power and people to to dominate. It was on his relationship with the Father. He chose the humble road. But with this humility and drawing from the Father, you know what he did next in John John the 6th chapter? He came out of those hills from being alone with his Father. He, He looked down at the lake where where his disciples were trying to get from one side of the uh, the lake to the other side and there was this storm on the lake, do you know it was then that he walked on water? I tell you, there's there's no emperor, there's no leader, there's no prime minister, there's no president that has ever had the dominion Over nature. He submitted, he stayed, his lion like qualities stayed submitted as a lamb. And the lion depended on the lamb instead of the lamb depending on the lion. Jesus' goal was not to defeat Rome. His disciples' desire was for him to defeat Rome. That was the biggest thing that they could think of. Their biggest enemy was Rome. Jesus knew there were bigger enemies than Rome. His goal was never to defeat Rome. He never even talked about Rome. Let's look at Hebrews 2 and verse 14. We'll see what he defeated. What was his goal and assignment? Because God's children are human beings. This is uh, Hebrews 2 and verse 14. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. His goal was not to reign when he came. His goal was to die. Why? Because only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death only in this way. That's a bigger power than just Roman tyranny. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Jesus' goal was not Rome. That was low. Jesus knew that Rome had come and Rome was going to go. Other armies could defeat Rome. Only supreme power, optimum power, could break the power of the one who had the power of death, the devil. How could Jesus access that kind of dominion over the devil? It was by being and going as low as possible towards the lamb not just serving us not just being kind and lifting us up in the way that he lived no it was by dying now at the the last supper you know we we celebrate every every church day we celebrate the Lord's Supper. But uh, that night that that happened, there are s- some events that happened in the night that if you read the Gospels, uh, each writer of the four gospels may put them in a different order, but these elements are all within that evening of what happened. It was a supper. They had a supper together, but in that supper there was com- what we call communion the wine and the bread. In that supper, during that time, Jesus said that one of the people were going to, one of his mates were going to betray him. But then there was something else that happened that night too. His disciples got into a fight with each other (laughs) at the table. Anybody have fights at your table? Yeah, well, Jesus had one there too. So they were fighting. His he, uh, his mates were fall up fighting, uh, and they, well, you know what they were fighting about? Who was going to be the greatest? They thought Jesus was going to, you know, it was right. They've just done this triumphal entry into in, into Jerusalem. They were thinking he was going to. It was just a matter of moments or hours or days till Jesus trounced the romans and they were going choose me choose me i want to be the i want to be the best in the kingdom and this is what jesus said to break up the fight he said that the way the kingdoms of this world work he said you know there's the the you know this higher echelon and, and then he said this. He said, "But among you, guys, this is from Jesus. He said it's going to be different. We don't do that. He said starting in verse 24, Luke 22:24, "Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant." Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? And then Jesus answered his own question. He said, the one who sits at the table, of course. And then he changed and made the rules. He said, but not here. Generally, the big guy sits at the table, everybody serves him, but not here. He said, I am among you as one who serves. Then this happened. Before the Passover celebration, and this is in John 13, starting in verse 1. I love this chapter. Beautiful. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world. Returned to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on the earth. And now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper. So the devil had already prompted Judas. Son of Simon Iscariot. To betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything. And that he had come from God. And would return to God. So. He got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water in a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Before we go on, there were two things that Jesus knew that enabled him to get up from the table as the Lord He was the boss. I'm not just talking about the boss of the disciples. He's the one that made the heavens and the earth with his father. He got up. He took his robes off and put a towel around him. And he got on his knees in front of his disciples and he washed their feet. How did he do that? How did he do that? he knew two things. The scripture said there were two things that he knew. He knew he got his authority from God. In other words, he didn't get his authority from pleasing people. He got his authority by total dependency on his father. Not of just being the lion, the tough guy, No, his toughness came from submission to his father. The second way that he was able to get up from the table and do what he did is he knew he had come from the father and he was going to go back to the father. In other words, for him... Not just, not just a beautiful poster on the wall for Jesus. The most important relationship in his existence, in his very life, was his relationship with the Father. Please remember when we're talking about Jesus, we're not just exclusively talking only about him because we find identity, we find the rules for reigning and how he did it. Jesus wasn't trying to prove anything to anybody. He didn't need to prove anything to anybody. That's why he wasn't trying to prove anything. You know, um, um, Mitch and Anna have two dogs. Two. They got two puppies. They could have just had one. Why two are amazing? And they, won't get, they can't think of any either of them that they would want to get rid of. So here we are. Two German shepherds slash Australian cattle dog. They are serious animals that dislocate your shoulders when you try to walk them. They're amazing. And you know something that I, I, I really, really like, these little guys that are getting bigger all the time. And I'm practicing my grandmother's skills. I've got new toys for them that they haven't e- I haven't even gotten out of the package when they come to visit me again. It's just it's all happening. It's just all happening. I reckon I need some people in my life. Do you reckon so? <laughs> but anyway, I'm practicing on these dogs. You know they're constantly at each other. They're just constantly at each other trying to see which one is the is the is the bigger of the dogs, is the more dominant of the dogs, biting on each other, wrestling each other down. And I was looking at Leela the other day, and, the, and Nala is actually the bigger one of the two, but Leela had her front paws on top of Nala's shoulders and just looking at her. And often, When one is just laying down, the other one will just go and stand on them. Now I've seen them do that, and I thought, I have seen people do that. (laughs) Okay, maybe not physically, but I gotta be the big one. I gotta—it's me. It's me. I gotta have my way. And Jesus said the rules for reigning—at least as Christians—aren't like that anymore. It's different. So, what is it? In, in, we're going to finish this experience in John 13, 1. After washing their feet, John 13, verse 1. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again, and he sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? statement of Jesus has always stood out to me. In other translations, most of them, it says, do you understand what I have done to you? In between this portion of John 13 and the part that we read recently, I mean, there's a little gap there. He asked Peter that and he said, right now you don't understand this, but one day you're going to get it. I just, I just claim that. Dear Lord Jesus, help us get this. Help us get this. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master. Nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you. Do them. <laughs> Do it. We're not gonna dive into what all foot washing means. I I did some study on, you know, what cultural foot washing was back in those days and it's all really interesting but we want to get the message of what Jesus was trying to get across John 13 verse 34 he said so now I'm giving you a new commandment love each other basically this Well, because we sang it. We sang it in the song. To fulfill the law and prophets. What is it after that? To fulfill the law and prophets. To the virgin came the word. To a virgin came the word. Jesus didn't come to go, on the law, like, he wasn't like that on the law. He looked at the law that nobody could fulfill, and he said, okay. And he, did it all. He fulfilled the law and the prophets. And after he did that, then he said, okay, I'm going to give you a new commandment. It's this. Because if you can do this, you won't do any of the other stupid stuff to each other. I'm going to boil it all down to one commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Oh, God, help us get this. So just to wrap this up, Jesus said this, nothing is impossible to him that believes. Another place, nothing is impossible. That actually, the world can be overcome. John said in his gospel, you can overcome the world By faith, faith unlooses this power of God. But do you know what faith works by? Love. We're promised amazing, woo, dramatic power. But it all works with this governor of love. Gifts of the spirit dispense God's power. But Paul wrote this. He said, follow after love and to desire spiritual gifts. The end of this whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 12, where all the gifts of the Spirit, amazing things, gifts of the Spirit says, now I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And it jumps right into 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter. I'd say that all of us in here want to see more power in manifestation, more more dramatic manifestation, display of power. How do you get that? Well, certainly not by stepping on each other's necks and competing for it and grabbing for it and, and being. Jesus set up a, a different way in our kingdom. If you want this kind of thing happening, as far as um, this amazing magnificence, display of the power of God, you don't go for this. You actually go for this love, forgive, be kind. I will. I'll be kind to people that are nice to me. But I tell you what, I'll spit on anybody who spits on me. And you'll have some kind of power, but it won't be that kind. Jesus set the rules of reigning for our kingdom. And you don't get to reign with his power in this kingdom without his way of tapping into it. And that's through love in humility. So we're going to pray a prayer together today. Ephesians 3, verse 14. Paul prayed a prayer for the whole church there in Ephesus, and we're going to pray this same prayer. Can we do it? I'd like you to pray it out loud. Don't don't think it let your mouth now it takes humility to do that, but go ahead and 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 say it. You don't have to holler it, just pray it. In verse 14, let's start. When I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources He will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to pray in just a moment. But I just want to give you an opportunity. If you don't, if you've never experienced the love of the lamb. It's actually to be experienced. He does love everybody. But all you need to do to experience his love is be humble enough to receive it. To be humble enough to say to the lamb, I need you. You died for me. And I accept it. Just, just humility. And when that happens, when you accept it, power, grace power comes in you makes you a child of God. You know, you could never do enough good things to become a child of God. But grace will make you one. Just if you humble yourself. Can we pray? I'd like everybody to join me in this prayer because we're going to give opportunity if you want Jesus, the Lamb that He is, to be yours then pray this prayer. And I want to invite those that are watching online to do the same. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for me and for sending Jesus to not just conquer, but to be a lamb, to take my sins and take my punishment for those sins. Jesus thank you for doing that I believe it and I believe God raised you from the dead and today I'm saying I want you I need you I need a savior come into my heart and be my Lord Amen. Praise the Lord. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, you can go uh, right up here to the front. There'll be a, uh, some people that can pray with you. If you're sitting with somebody, say, you know what, I prayed that prayer. If you're sitting by somebody who uh, prayed that prayer today, maybe for the first time and you know so, why don't you, uh, why don't you instigate a conversation and say, did you just pray that prayer? Because we want to help you get to the next step. And we have a next step stations too. We want you to have that beautiful relationship with the Father that Jesus has. So we want you to do the next step. And also, you can go online uh, to our website and uh, click on next steps. And then from there, you can see a thing that says, how can I know God? You can So click on there and there'll be some wonderful information for you. Also tonight, Jesus is healing people right here at 6 o'clock. You can come. And um, so we have that tonight happening. God bless you. Guys, there are rules for raining. Let's rain this week. Let's let love rain in our heart. We don't have to try break a sweat on trying to be the lion. Let's just be, go for that hum, humble lamb. Love people. Watch, watch how that lion manifests in your life. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Have a really good week. If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at brainer.org.au.